0: Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast, supported by University College at Washington University, offering approachable world-class education with undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We'll begin with a new facet to a growing problem, the opioid epidemic. More and more children of opioid abusers are being placed in foster care, and the child welfare community is concerned because it's having trouble finding foster parents to meet the demand for this group and other children. With me in studio is Melanie Sheets, Executive Director of the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. Ryan Dowis is Chief Operating Officer of Cornerstones of Care. It provides specialized services to families and kids. Thank you both so much for being with us it's nice to have you
1: Thank you for having us it 's nice we uh, can talk about our kids
0: yes that 's an important thing to talk about. Melanie, let me start with you. Can you give me some sense of the uh, scope of the o- overall overall foster care issue, particularly with regard to the opioid epidemic?
1: Sure. So for the first time in two decades, we're seeing more children enter foster care. It had really been declining for many years, and especially in the St. Louis region, but all across Missouri, we saw fewer and fewer children in the system. Obviously, that's our goal, not to have children in the foster care system. But unfortunately, when we have parents with substance abuse issues, especially opioids, we see more kids coming into care.
0: And that's creating pressure otherwise, too, because you still have other issues to have to contend with
1: yeah of course and it's and it's such a different kind of epidemic even from the crack epidemic right because we see that this addiction is just so powerful that children don't uh, aren't able to get out of the system back to their parents as quickly as they were years ago.
0: I want to get into the process in in just a moment or two, but Ryan, let me go to you with regard to your organization. How does Cornerstones of Care? How does that fit into this whole uh, process?
2: Sure, we're a we're a human service organization. We provide behavioral health services um, here in St. Louis uh, through a great partnership with the Foster Care and Adoptive Care Coalition, um, we're out, providing outpatient counseling for youth and children and their families who are in the foster care system. And we're also beginning a new program where we're providing um, through our Homes That Heal services treatment foster care, which is really the highest level of care. It's meant to be therapeutic and serve children in home environments. Tell me a little bit more about the counseling. What What does the counseling involve? So we have highly trained therapists and counselors um, who have been trained in a number of evidence-based service models. So these are models that basically have been proven through research to have evidence uh, shown to be effective models with kids who have experienced trauma, who have been in the foster care system. So we might see a youth individually for individual therapy but also provide services to their foster family or their biological parents as well through weekly or even more frequent um, therapy sessions.
0: Define trauma in this context for me.
2: Sure. Um, So probably a lot of the youth that we work with in the foster care system have experienced some type of trauma. And what we tend to know about is the trauma or negative experience of possibly abuse or neglect in their home, their biological home, the the home that they resided in. Um, And and maybe they've been experiencing that trauma for some time, whether it's maybe getting yelled at at home or their educational needs not being met or it not being a safe environment to live in. Mm. And we know about that trauma. But the other piece of trauma is when the children can't safely live with their parents and they're brought into the foster care system that's traumatic as well. Um, Imagine going to stay with someone that you don't know for the first time and being taken away from everything that you've ever known. That is another significant point of trauma, and all of that changes a child's life, um, how their brains develop as well.
0: Melanie, I would have to assume that this would involve every child that goes through the system.
1: You are so right. And just to brag on Cornerstones of Care for a minute, you know, in St. Louis, we've really been trauma-focused for the last, what, five, seven years, Mm -hmm. and um, I think doing a really great job of bringing that issue to four. But Cornerstones of Care really was the leader in our state to addressing trauma, especially Mm -hmm. for children in foster care. So we asked them to come here to bring some of those really exceptional therapies and their their services are so needed that within three weeks they were completely full up. So, and I know that you're working to address that to bring in more capacity. So, and that's not to say that other agencies in town aren't doing a great job. They are, but we've got this top layer of kids, the, the kids, the top five percent, ten percent who have this complex trauma that really require a deeper look and deeper services. And this is the evidence based work that Ryan's talking about.
0: How are they identified?
1: So, and by home right yeah. so um well, it just started with our agency, the Foster and Adoptive mm-hmm. Care Coalition, seeing children that we work with who really needed that deeper dive. And so we were providing those referrals, but it's just exploded. They're getting referrals from the parents themselves, from case managers, from court personnel. So they're really recognizing that Cornerstones of Care can come in, do this really deep work, and then move on to the next child. Because, again, we do have other local therapeutic services that are very good.
0: How do these... Uh, th- these problems typically present.
1: Oh my goodness, our poor kids! You know, it can be breaking windows. It can be um, being violent with the foster parent. In I'm, my husband and I are foster adoptive parents. In our case, it was with our daughter running away to very different, very dangerous situations. For our kids, it comes down again these top five to ten percent kids. It comes down to trust. They do not have trust for people to care for Mm -hmm. them. And so what are you going to do when you're a kid? That comes out in in a backlash. We call it behaviors, but behaviors isn't really what it's about. It's their Mm -hmm. trauma response.
0: And the pressure, therefore, goes to the foster parents as Mm -hmm. well who are having to deal with this, and they are not uh, used, undoubtedly, to having problems such as this to work with
2: sure definitely um you know most people come into fostering traditionally because they want to help and that's a that's a good reason to get involved and um are are maybe at times unprepared for um the some of the challenges that our youth in foster care might might exhibit and so um one of the things that's that's very important is that we do walk alongside foster parent and support them. Um, We do provide additional training to them um, before a child comes into their home, and that's important. But I think probably what's most important is that we do walk alongside them once a child is in their home and support them every day, um, whether it's through daily phone contact or weekly visits in the home and teaching and modeling new skills that they can use in the home that are therapeutic.
0: Does it ever get so bad that the foster parent says, I just can't do this anymore? Oh, yes. No. And it's
1: because for years and years and years, we didn't we didn't provide the right supports to our mm-hmm. parents. So, Ryan, when you were speaking, I heard you talk about specifically your Homes That Heal program. And again, it's for those top 5 to 10% of the kids we're talking about. And then you've got all the rest of the kids. And we didn't prepare those parents correctly either. Right. So now what we're doing is... Uh, requiring that parents go through a 14-hour trauma training developed out of Duke University.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's specifically for them. It's not for biological parents. It's not for teachers. It's specifically for them. And we are seeing so much uh, increased placement stability. We yeah. should have been doing it all along, but we're yeah. doing it now.
0: What about other kids in the household?
1: Oh, so one of my uh, very good professional friends from One Heart Ministries always reminds me that um, – All children in the home are impacted by foster care, not Mm -hmm. just if you've been in, not just if you've exited through guardianship or adoption, but if you're a biological child as well. So it takes very special foster parents to be able to really balance all the needs of the children. And there are amazing foster parents Mm -hmm. in our area.
0: They're saints. <laughs> I mean, they the way, are. That's the way I look at it. I mean, to take on that <laughs> responsibility, whether they have kids of their own or not, uh, I, I think they're saints.
1: They are, and you know, really talk about changing the trajectory of someone's life, right? I mean, that's what they're doing, and mm. we don't say thank you to them often enough,
2: right? We, um, you know, across the state, there are over thirteen thousand. Um, I was children, about to ask, yeah, yeah children in foster mm-hmm. care, and you know, those are Missouri's children. Um, when when a decision's made that a child can't safely reside in the home, um, those become all of our responsibility. And it, it's amazing that we have folks um, open their home and volunteer to be foster parents um, because I don't know what we would do um, with those youth and those kids and provide be able to provide the care that they need. So it's amazing to have foster parents who volunteer to do that
0: melanie where are we with regard to uh, the availability of foster homes for these kids
2: obviously the uh,
0: the, um, the the pile is getting smaller if you will in terms of those who are available to do this
1: yeah so that's a bit of a complicated answer and i'm going to really try to drill down as 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 best as i can so in the old days when a child came into foster care immediately our first reaction was to put that child with a stranger mm-hmm. Now, our first reaction is to place that child with a relative or kin. Mm -hmm. Every child has an unlimited number of relatives, but there are a finite number of traditional foster care placements. So as we in the St. Louis area get better and better and better at placing kids with relatives, it means that we need fewer traditional foster homes. Mm. That being said, with the increase over the last several years with the number of children in foster care, we do need those traditional homes so that we can catch up. We're doing better. Last year, we were able to bring on 43 additional foster homes, but we s- still have a big need. We actually have two um, foster parent classes going on simultaneously right now because there are people stepping up.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, how are they vetted?
1: Oh, it is a very thorough process, as anybody who cares about kids would, would want to have happen. So um, there's 27 hours of training, but that just scratches the surface. There um, is a home study that's written, eight Believe me, it's a very thorough home study. Mm -hmm. But people have to go through lots and lots of background checks as well. Most importantly, what we're trying to assess is, is this foster parent really in it to help these kids heal? A big part of what the work is, too, is working with biological families because kids – 65% 65% of the time, end up going back home to live mm. with mom or dad. And so we want to make sure that we're having those really strong community relationships.
0: Mm. How, what is a typical stay for a child in uh, foster care?
1: Mm, well, too long although that number is coming down quickly Mm -hmm. uh, because we know when kids are placed with relatives or kin, they get to go back home much more quickly than if placed with a stranger. So the goal is two years, but for years we've exceeded that here. That's the federal goal.
0: Okay, let me take a break now. We'll come back and continue this conversation. We're talking about foster care in the state of Missouri and in the St. Louis area. And we are having some specific emphasis on what uh, influence the opioid epidemic is having on that issue. Come back and continue the conversation in just a moment. And if you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love to hear from uh, from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Or if you would prefer, send us a tweet at STL on air. Welcome back as we continue our conversation on foster care and the opioid epidemic. Ryan, let me come back to you with regard to the opioid connection. Um, How specifically, or are there specific differences in the way you would deal with uh, youngsters who have been exposed to that sort of thing as opposed to
2: others? You know, I think um, one of the things that happens with kids who come into foster care is many of the reasons they come into foster care are, are due to neglect and uh, the opioid um, addiction is kind of feeding into that where um, maybe because of that addiction, parents have, have um, not been the best parents. They've neglected whether it's educationally care for the home, other things like that. Um, So there are similarities with other types of neglect um, when the kids come into custody. What we see as a difference though, specifically is the time to reunification. Um, It, tends to take longer for those mm-hmm. youth to be able to safely go back home uh, because the parents are struggling with that addiction. And there are times when um, we don't even recognize early on that opioid was at the, so- the source or the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw just the neglect that was happening with the child. So it does slow down reunification definitely, but it does create a similar uh, uh, trauma experience for the youth. Melanie, what about the authority to take a child and
0: put it in foster care, remove it from its natural parents?
1: Mm -hmm. So in Missouri, uh, we have an excellent system, a hotline system where – where those potential cases are called in, and then they are investigated. And the good news is if there's any way for the child to stay at home, they they want that to happen. Mm -hmm. But if not, the children quickly come into care. Um, There has to be a hearing uh, through the courts to make sure that, um, yes, the uh, allegations are substantiated. Um, But then the goal from that point on is the clock is ticking, and there is a court order that the parent or parents have to follow, and as they do that, then that's when the child can be reunified with their with their um, their their biological family. If not, that's then when the children go on to become available for adoption or guardianship.
0: Have you ever reached a point where you had children who needed to be placed, but there was no place to place them?
1: Unfortunately, that does happen from time to time. Yeah. Um, it happens a lot less often than it had than it has to than it used to, but. I um, am sorry to say that that we have some younger children in St. Louis right now who are placed in residential care simply because uh, there wasn't uh, a perceived available foster parent.
0: What's the difference between foster care and residential care?
1: You want to take that one, Ryan? Mm
2: -hmm. Sure. So um, residential care, residential treatment is really the um, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week treatment uh, for youth who have behavior challenges and who – hopefully are in that placement to receive treatment, um, intensive therapeutic services um, where they haven't been able to be successful in a home-like setting because it maybe wasn't safe there due to behavior challenges. What we see that Melanie was just pointing out, though, is sometimes kids stay in residential facilities too long because The rest of us haven't been able to find the right home for Mm -hmm. them. There weren't enough foster homes or enough homes that met the needs for those specific youth. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're working on uh, programs like Our Homes That Heal, um, which is really meant to be able to step kids down once they're done receiving treatment in a residential facility so that they can quickly go into a home Mm -hmm. and start learning the skills that you need um, to be successful in a home. Um so that's that's one of the reasons we've started that program homes at heal so we can pr- provide that therapeutic level of care. What's the age range of kids who are placed?
1: Uh, 0 to 17. Yeah. So and and all age groups are equally as impacted by the opioid mm-hmm. epidemic. So I did want to Don, I don't know if you remember speaking of residential care that in St. Louis we used to have four residential centers mm-hmm. just for young children. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't do that anymore, which is great because kids belong in families. So I just wanted to point out, even though we do have some challenges, we're a lot further along than we were, you know, in the early 2000s.
0: What about the Foster Friends program that I I, I saw listed in some of your literature?
1: Yeah. So – Lots of people want to help kids in foster care, but not everybody can be a foster or adoptive parent. So we have volunteer opportunities for 800 people a year, and our premier group is the foster friends. And these are folks who are background checked and um, with the supervision of our staff can provide fun activities for kids. You know, lots of times foster parents just need a break, so we do lots of fun foster friends uh, parent day out events. So, for example, Circus Flora.
0: It's a good place to uh, take, take anybody. <laughs> exactly. Kids of all ages, they say, in the, in the circus world. Exactly. And what about the Extreme Enrichment Program, Ryan? Is that is that part of your program?
1: Pro- well, I'm happy to talk about yeah. that, but that is something that uh, we've had several programs that we have shared back and forth across the state that we've replicated. Uh-huh. So um, we started a program called Extreme Recruitment back in 2008, and these are for kids. This program is for kids who've been in foster care 5, 10, 15 years, and um, they really needed a last best chance at finding an adoptive home. So it was taking us about two years to find a home for an older child or a sibling group, and we just broke that mold and said, we're going to do this within 12 to 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, we laid on the special sauce, which are private yeah. investigators, um, and we are fortunate enough that the, our local United Way provided us funding to be able to test that. And um, that's what we do now, find homes for kids within 12 to 20 weeks instead of two years.
0: The, you mentioned United Way funding. What about other funding? How do you, uh, how do you fund your operation?
1: Yeah, we uh, are very fortunate that St. Louis is such a generous community. So about Thirty-five percent of our funding comes from uh, government funds, so whether that be the state of Missouri or the local income taxes, such as Children's Service Fund mm-hmm. or Mental Health Board. But the rest comes from foundations, individuals, corporations, our special events, and the United Way.
2: Same for you, right? Um, we're we're probably a little higher on being dependent on government contracts, so mm-hmm. we're more like sixty to seventy percent government contracts. Um, but our therapeutic services that we provide here in the St. Louis area. Um, We get Medicaid funding for most of that. Um, and then our, our Homes at Heal, that program, uh, treatment foster care, um, is usually going to be through government funding as well.
0: I have a, an email here from Nadim, I believe is the way it would be pronounced in St. Louis. He writes, how can we better coordinate foster children's medical care? I'm a pediatrician and have always been struck by how fragmented their medical care is and how difficult it is to maintain continuity. Seems like a good question. Who wants to take it?
1: Well, I will talk about what's going on in St. Louis but Ryan really has kind of the larger picture in Missouri and nationally. So locally, um, we're fortunate to have two programs. One is at Cardinal Glennon for younger children, and one is through Washington University's The Spot Program for older children. So when children first come into foster care, that's where they're going to have those services coordinated. However, we have this whole, you know, this whole uh, big population of kids that have not yet been touched by that. So then we get into what's kind of happening around the rest of Missouri.
2: Yeah. The, the two programs here, um, the spot and, and, and the Cardinal Glennon program are both um, great clinics um, that can provide, um, you know, unique services to kids in foster care because um, the individual that wrote in is exactly right. There are unique um, mental health, physical health, and, um, wellness challenges for youth in foster care that are just different than than other populations, and a couple of things that are that have been successful are those clinics that target um, youth in foster care um, separate from other kids. The other thing is care coordination. Um, so being able to have the resources that you have, knowledgeable nurses or care coordinators to track and essentially be a safety net. For youth in foster care, Um, their medications, their follow-up appointments, those things are very critical. So care coordination is a big part of it as well.
0: I was going to bring that up. It seems to me that... uh that is an immense challenge coordinating all of this. I mean, we talk about the medical side of it and vetting parents, and all of the various uh, facets of this operation is incredibly complex.
1: You, I mean, you're right. And the programs that Ryan and I have been talking about really just touch a small percentage of the kids across the state. I mean, especially in rural areas. I mm-hmm. mean, there are really unique challenges. So, yeah, definitely, it is. A, it it is something we have to get better at.
0: What about adoption? How often is adoption something that follows the foster care process?
1: So I mentioned that when kids first come into foster care, and this is their place in a traditional foster home, um, parents about 65% of the time get the kids back. So then, because they worked their plan. So then you've got this, um, you've got 35% of the children who become available for adoption. Most of the time, the foster parents will adopt. That doesn't always happen, and that's where we need programs Mm. like Extreme Recruitment or A Place to Call Home on KSDK. Mm. Um, That's when the really specialized um, adoption programs take place, both um, at Cornerstones of Care and at the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition. We also are lucky enough to have some recruiters on our staff that are funded to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, Mm. the Wendy's guy. Remember he was adopted? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so they're a huge national program that really does amazing work, and we're lucky to have that funding.
0: We used to hear about that all the time with Dave Thomas on television, but uh, very very little of it recently. Is he still alive and still doing it?
1: No. Unfortunately, we lost Dave several years ago. But if you go into the Wendy's, you'll see mm-hmm. the little change boxes. So please put your change in there. We right. only take our kids to Wendy's, not McDonald's. And they,
2: and they do direct investment in our state um, through funding recruiters for um, Melanie's organization and ours, so they um, give grants each year. We Mm -hmm. have two, and Melanie's organization has at least one grant. So they provide a lot of support here for adoption.
0: What other opportunities are there for people who don't want to – aren't foster friends and don't want to be foster parents but want to somehow be involved?
2: Oh,
1: my gosh. We have lots. Mm -hmm. So – Hopefully folks um, are familiar with our Little Wishes program. Mm -hmm. This is where kids in foster care can request an experience. Maybe that's ballet lessons. A lot of summer camps right now. And so we always have a list of those on our website, which is www.foster-adopt.org. We also have the Birthday Buddy program for kids. We have the Cinderella Project, where volunteers can help girls in foster care pick the very perfect gown. Mm. Um, (laughs) And then, of course, we have lots of fundraising events that we always need help with. We have a, a,
0: a tweet here from Aaron who writes: "I aged out of foster care after fifteen years. I'm graduating from SLU with an MSW degree and now becoming uh, foster parents himself." I, I oh gather. my gosh, wow.
1: Aaron! And Aaron is really one of the um, one of. A very few number of children, unfortunately, who actually make it out of high school and into college because of that trauma. I mean, and then to get your MSW from SLU. Way mm-hmm. to go.
2: Not bad. Congratulations, Not bad. Aaron.
0: <laughs> We're going to have to leave it there. Is there any final thought you want to leave us with? Your your biggest need at the moment would be what?
1: The biggest need that I see is just what's happening right now and that our community really comes together to lift up our kids and our families. And I appreciate St. Louis for all that they do. Mm-hmm.
2: Final thought, Ryan? Yeah, we, we're always looking for more foster parents for our Homes at Heal program, and and you can dip your toe in by volunteering, and we appreciate your time and appreciate the partnership with um, the coalition. All
0: the contact information you've mentioned on air will be on our website, stlpublicradio.org, later today. So it'll all get out there, and it'll stay there for a long time. Great. Thank you. Melanie Sheets, Executive Director of uh, Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition, Ryan Dallas, CEO of Cornerstones of Care.